Welcome. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. The following is an article from the March-April 2022 edition of National Geographic History Magazine. The title of today's article is The Dreyfus Affair, France's Battle for the Truth, by Ainoa Campos. Alfred Dreyfus, a Jewish officer, was wrongly convicted of selling military secrets to France's enemies. The controversial case caused a devastating split in France that still lingers today. When Alfred Dreyfus was summoned to the French Ministry of War on October 15, 1894, he had no inkling that his life, and French society as a whole, was about to be turned upside down. Dreyfus was a promising officer who believed that he had a bright career ahead of him. General Armand du Paty de Clam greeted him and, due to a bandaged right hand, asked Dreyfus to write a note on his behalf, a ploy to obtain a sample of Dreyfus's handwriting without arousing any suspicion. After examining the note, du Paty, an amateur graphologist, concluded that Dreyfus's handwriting matched that on a bordereau, or memo, that had recently been recovered from the wastebasket of the German embassy in Paris. In 1894, the French military believed a spy was in their midst. France was still reeling from its humiliating defeat by German forces in the Franco-Prussian War of 1870-1871. Suspicion that someone in their ranks was still passing secrets to the Germans hardened into certainty when the Bordereau came to light. Whoever had written it was offering to sell reports on French artillery to the Germans. On the basis of his so-called expertise in handwriting analysis, Dupaty accused Dreyfus of betraying France and arrested him for high treason. The unsigned Bordereau was the only evidence against Dreyfus, but two other factors put him squarely in the crosshairs. First, he was from Alsace, a German-speaking French province that had been annexed by Germany after the war. Second, Dreyfus was Jewish, a fact that confirmed his guilt in a society pervaded by anti-Semitism. The military leaked the story to the anti-Semitic press which ran a virulent campaign against the Jewish officer. Knowing the evidence of Dreyfus's guilt was weak, Dupaty attempted to secure a confession, but Dreyfus insisted on his innocence. Dreyfus's wife, Lucy, and his brother, Mati, hired a lawyer who felt confident of an acquittal. With the court-martial coming up in December, Army commanders sought to buttress their case and turned to another officer, Major Hubert Henry, to find new evidence. At the trial, Henry handed the judges a secret dossier, which, it was later revealed, contained correspondence between the German military attaché in Paris and his Italian counterpart. One of these letters supposedly mentioned this scoundrel of D. Dreyfus's defense lawyer was neither informed of nor allowed to see the dossier. The judges considered the evidence strong, and Dreyfus was found guilty of high treason. He was to serve a sentence on Devil's Island, a penal colony off French Guiana in South America. As part of the sentence, he also had to face military degradation, a ritual dismissal from his position. 
in a ceremony in January 1895 in the courtyard of the École Militaire in Paris. Dreyfus was stripped of his rank while an official ripped off his military insignia and broke his sword in two. He was then led back to jail amid jeers of Judas, coward, from the watching crowds. Public opinion was strongly against Dreyfus at this point. Most of France believed him a traitor, many expressing outrage that he hadn't been executed. When he was taken to prison in April 1895, reports circulated of crowds in Paris shouting, Death to the Jews! Dreyfus was placed in solitary confinement on Devil's Island, but his family stood fast in maintaining his innocence. As it turned out, the verdict against Dreyfus did not end the case. About a year later, the Ministry of War was passed another handwritten document, but this time it came from the German ambassador. It was the draft of a letter addressed to a French officer, Ferdinand Esterhazy. The new head of intelligence services, Georges Picard, who had no prior involvement with the Dreyfus case, discovered that Esterhazy was in contact with the German embassy. Picard assumed Esterhazy must be a second traitor, but when he obtained two handwriting samples from Esterhazy and compared them with the Bordereau supposedly written by Dreyfus, he realized that the handwriting was identical. The Bordereau had been written by Esterhazy, he concluded, not Dreyfus. When Picard insisted on reopening the Dreyfus investigation during the final months of 1896, the army closed ranks. First, the troublesome Picard was removed from his post, then transferred to Tunis. The army leaked to the press details of the secret dossier given to the judges in the military trial of December 1894. Major Henry, meanwhile, who had helped to procure the original secret dossier, came forward with another letter from the Italian military attaché that mentioned Dreyfus by name. This letter, later known as the Faux Henry, was in fact a forgery. Arguing that the secret dossier had not been shown to defense counsel during the trial, Dreyfus's supporters pushed to reopen the investigation. Picard and a senior senator, Auguste Schirr-Kessner, took up their case. Then came a stroke of luck for the Dreyfusards. Esterhazy's stockbroker saw a facsimile of the Bordereau and recognized the handwriting as his client's. He informed Matti Dreyfus, who denounced Esterhazy. In November 1897, the military was forced to open an inquest into Esterhazy. Although he was brought to trial in a military court in January 1898, Esterhazy was acquitted in a closed session. Soon after, Picard was arrested for revealing official secrets. Just when it appeared that Dreyfus was doomed, France's most prominent novelist stepped in. On January 13, 1898, the front page of the socialist newspaper La Roire carried an open letter to the President of the Republic by Emile Zola, France's great novelist, then at the height of his fame. Written under the electrifying banner headline J'accuse, it fiercely denounced the military for falsely convicting Dreyfus. The letter split France into two camps, the Dreyfusards and the anti-Dreyfusards the former rallying around 18th century Republican ideals of justice and equality, demanded that the case be reopened and the true culprits punished. The latter, pro-army and mostly Catholic, 
supported the ideals of the Ancien regime and saw the Dreyfus case as an effort to damage military prestige. Meanwhile, the Zola letter provoked a backlash of anti-Semitic violence across France. Zola was sentenced to jail for libel, but fled to England. Under renewed scrutiny, the lies and falsifications surrounding the Dreyfus case began to unravel. Mr. Hasey was dismissed from the army for habitual misconduct and promptly fled the country for England. The Minister of War, Godefroy Cavagnac, who had previously been convinced of Dreyfus's guilt, proclaimed that the letter Henry produced from the Italian military attaché was a forgery. Henry was sent to jail, where he committed suicide. In January 1899, a proposal to have the Dreyfus case heard by a Supreme Court of Appeals was approved. As the anti-Dreyfusards lost credibility, the right-wing and anti-Semitic nationalist group Ligue des Patriotes attempted a failed coup in February 1898. With France in crisis, the Supreme Court overturned the 1894 verdict against Dreyfus in June 1899 and ruled that he would appear before a new court-martial. After four years on Devil's Island, Dreyfus returned to France in July for the retrial. Despite the overwhelming evidence of his innocence, the military court still found Dreyfus guilty in another show trial and sentenced him to ten years in prison, reduced to five for time served. The verdict triggered an uproar. The weakened French government, fearing the consequences of another trial, offered Dreyfus clemency. His health impaired by the years on Devil's Island, Dreyfus accepted the pardon, provided that he could continue his fight to prove his innocence. Shortly afterward, the government issued an amnesty on all crimes related to the case, except for Dreyfus, to allow him to pursue his exoneration, which he finally received in 1906. He was then reinstated in the Army as a lieutenant colonel and made Chevalier of the Legion of Honor in the same courtyard of the École Militaire, where he had been degraded 11 years earlier. With the start of World War I, he re-enlisted and fought at the Battle of Verdun, then returned home to a quiet retirement. He would die in Paris in 1935 at the age of 75. The Army did not publicly declare his innocence until 1995. With its explosive combination of state collaboration in the miscarriage of justice and the impact of the media on the public perception of events, the Dreyfus Affair, wrote the late Yale University historian Paula Hyman, raises issues that still resonate today. In November 2021, Eric Zemmour, a prominent far-right political journalist in France, argued that Dreyfus's innocence was not obvious, a position criticized by France's president, Emmanuel Macron, among many others. The passion incited by Zemmour's words across France shows that the affair Dreyfus is far from over. If you want to learn more about Airs LA and the types of programs we offer, follow us by clicking on any of the social media links at the top of our web pages. If you like what you see or hear, please click the like button. That brings us to the end of today's article, The Dreyfus Affair, France's Battle for the Truth. I'm Jim Briscoe. Thank you for listening.